Hello there listener, hope you are an Android developer, which actually doesn't matter like at all for most of our episodes. Anyway, my name is Artem Zinitilin and you are listening to The Context, podcast about Android development. It's episode number 9 and today I just noticed that The Context is already more than a year old now, which is very exciting, but we are definitely not a very productive podcast, <laughs> only nine episodes so far, which is not bad actually. So today we are going to talk mostly about some internal details of Kotlin compilation and integration with uh, Gradle, and hopefully a little bit about other build systems as well. As a co-host, we have Hannes Dorfman. Yo. Hi, guys. Yeah, I just noticed that your surname ends with man, so my man, <laughs> that's interesting. And as a guest, today we have Alexei Tsvetskov uh, from Kotlin team at JetBrains. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, very nice to have you on the show. And Hannes specifically asked me to not do bad jokes anymore because they were awful, so I won't. <laughs> of course he didn't. No, <laughs> He's please. too shy for that. Please make some yeah. bad jokes, please. Yeah, actually, I've, I've already explicitly asked to, to have a permission to do them. <laughs> so, Alexei, let's uh, talk in Russian, I guess, because we're post-Russians, right? Привет. Здравствуйте. Yeah, in Soviet Russia, podcasts. Speaks you. Speaks you, right. So, um, yeah, sometimes I actually try to speak to to Hannes in Russian and it's quite... Oh, wait, strange. wait, that's actually a, a good chance to, to, to tell the world how your name is actually pronounced in Russia. Because it's not name? Artem. Yeah, it's ah. not Artem, right? So now we have a Russian-speaking person as guest, so probably... So, Alexei, have a try. Uh, okay, I think it is Artem Zinatulin. Uh, <laughs> am I correct? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You are expert in Russian. <laughs> yeah, my name is very bad. So great to be expert in <laughs> Exactly. We are experts in Russian and Hannes is expert in build systems. So uh, let's start with Gradle, I guess, because uh, most of our listeners fortunately or unfortunately use it. And can you, Alexei, please describe us uh, how does Kotlin integrate with Gradle and what is Gradle and what is a compiler and, wh and why are they, and what is a build system and what is a compiler and why are they different, basically? Uh, okay, I, I think that everyone more or less knows what Gradle is. It's a program that have build scripts written in Groovy or Kotlin that allows you to define uh, your build dependencies, your structure of your project, and some IDE can use that information to automate your build. It's also a recipe mm -hmm. to build your, your programs, to get your artifacts, to publish them. How does Kotlin integrate with Gradle? It's pretty simple, actually. Gradle has... For you. <laughs> I think in general, when you dive a bit into Gradle, it has a quite simple and beautiful model. Gradle has two phases in general. One is a configuration when it evaluates 
the scripts and builds a graph of, of your tasks. Then it just finds the tasks that you want to you want it to build to run and uh, it just evaluates the dependencies of this task and the tasks itself. Kotlin plugin just well it, it, it relies a lot on on the Java plugin. Uh, what it does it is it applies the Java plugin then it finds all source sets and for each source set it finds a Java task, it creates Kotlin compiler tasks and adds a dependency from Java task to Kotlin task. It also creates some additional tasks like for our new implementation of annotation processing it also creates a CAPT task. CAPT stands for Kotlin Annotation Processing Tool. That's basically it. It also provides some DSL. Okay, let me rewind back a bit. How does configuration happen? At first, Gradle evaluates the build script uh, section of your, of your script. Then it figures out what plugin dependencies uh, you have, it downloads them, and then um, it evaluates the script again, uh, not, not just build script section, but everything else. At first it applies uh, all the plugins, so plugin is just uh, a class with some entry point, a Java class with some entry point, um, it just calls this class and uh, it provides some API. So the entry point is probably a project, a project to which the plugin is applied to. Then the plugin creates the tasks it needed. So then everything else in your script is evaluated so you can configure the tasks or you can you can use uh, dsl extensions that plugin created for you um, that's it after uh, the evaluation or configuration phase uh, it the gradle finds the tasks that you asked it to build and execute all the dependencies of the task and the task itself. That's it. The tasks are just, again, it's just Java classes that have a method evaluate and they can also declare uh, some dependencies such as other tasks or uh, some input files or some some properties and also also they can declare their outputs such as files or directories when gradle executes the tasks it looks at at the dependencies if it's a task dependency it evaluates the task first 
then if it's an input input file dependency, uh, it checks if uh, this whether these files were changed or not. If they were not changed, it can skip the task. Mm -hmm. But you have explicitly marked your task as incremental for that, right? Yes, you need to. A developer of plugin uh, needs to mark the, this task. It should. Um, the developer must add an inputs argument that is an incremental inputs argument. As far as I remember, that's it. Then Gradle can provide an information on what files were added or changed or deleted to, to us. That was much deeper than I expected, which is great, by the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so to sum it up, there's a, a configuration fast where basically each plugin defines which task will be executed afterwards. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, at, at the configuration phase, the result of configuration phase is a graph of all the tasks. Okay, got it. Uh, that, that's it. Uh, so th the fun thing about Gradle is uh, that unlike Maven, the scripts are imperative, right? Mm -hmm. But the model, which is built after the during the configuration phase, uh, is declarative. Is mm -hmm. just a graph of tasks, their dependencies, their inputs and outputs. That's it. So an IDE can uh, use that information through the API, which is great. So you can use Gradle scripts uh, to, and then just import them uh, in to IntelliJ IDEA or Eclipse or Android Studio. Uh, there, there is no way, no other way to create a project in Android Studio now. Mm -hmm. But some time ago, you could you could also open uh, an IntelliJ project. Well, it it was possible, yeah, but like a few years ago, I guess. No, no, no. It was possible just a uh, few months ago. Oh, really? I think because we had a cons project that was uh, distributed as an IntelliJ project. Oh, you mean Kotlin cons, right? Yeah, Kotlin oh, cons. It. Uh -huh. uh, it's an educational project uh, you can download. It just has some kind of exercises and tests for that exercises. So it's like a bunch of Kotlin sources uh, with some description and every, uh, every task is to fill some function uh, and there are automatic tests for that function, uh, and the project was uh, distributed as an IntelliJ project, and in some version of Studio, probably uh, 2.1 or something, uh, it stopped work working. So we had to, I, I had to rewrite it uh, into Gradle. Mm -hmm. Th that question bothered me for years. What is IntelliJ project and what is the build system that IntelliJ project uses? It's this kind of ant, customized ant, am I right? No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, it is a custom, um, a custom build tool. It is called JPS. 
I don't remember what it stands for. Uh, Probably JetBrains. No, yeah. maybe, but, but why, YP? I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. It is a build system that uh, is built for, for IntelliJ needs. So it features an incremental compilation for Java, uh, as well as some other JVM languages. It is pretty simple, actually. Uh, one interesting thing is that it supports uh, circular dependencies, unlike Gradle. I don't think it's a really useful feature, but it is there. B but it's actually hidden from users. So many people don't know that IntelliJ has its own build system. Um, well, it works. It works okay. It, do it isn't included in the Android Studio. Mm -hmm. An IntelliJ model is pretty simple, actually. There are models, uh, modules uh, and dependencies between these modules. That's it. Okay. Uh, also, uh, each module can have many source roots, tests, test roots, uh, resources roots. Um, so IntelliJ knows where to search for tests and mm -hmm. or for sources to compile. But that, that's it. And when you open uh, Maven project or uh, Gradle project, it just uh, Maps. transforms yeah. Gradle model into IntelliJ model. Oh, there's also an IntelliJ Gradle plugin um, which can be used or is quite often used in Java development, not really in Android development, but in Java development. Does this plugin actually does exactly this this bridging or this mm. this binding to your internal build system? No, the, there is a plugin for Gradle that allows you to generate uh, IntelliJ um, project files uh, and then just use them without importing. And there is also a plugin for for developer for the developers who want to uh, to develop plugins for IntelliJ. Uh, because you need to download some dependencies and etc. Uh, right, right. Generally, uh, the plugin that imports uh, Gradle project uh, in IDEA, I don't think it is published anywhere. I mean, except mm -hmm. uh, IntelliJ community open source repository, of course. Uh, it isn't useful outside of mm -hmm. IntelliJ, I think. I see. So probably now it's a good time to dive a little bit deeper into the Kotlin Gradle plugin as you are working on that. Yes. For instance, there is the possibility in, in Kotlin, well, let me rephrase this, not in Kotlin, but you can mix Kotlin and Java projects. So b basically you have to check whether or not Kotlin should run before Java or after Java. How does this work to be able to compile both Java and Kotlin at the same time? It is pretty interesting uh, point, actually. Kotlin can understand Java. Kotlin compiler uses uh, an uh, IntelliJ platform as a library, mm -hmm. 
uh, IntelliJ can parse and uh, resolve the code, the Java code. Uh, so that's it. We just use IntelliJ, parse uh, Java, resolve all the types, and then use that information uh, during Kotlin compilation. What? Wait, wait, what? I saw that it invokes Java compiler first and then works it, it, against it not, bytecode, no? No, 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 no. Oh, it geez. does not invoke, uh, does not uh, rely in any way on the Java compiler, at least for now. We are interested interested in uh, in trying to to perform jo joint com joint compilation of the Kotlin and Java to to use Java compiler as a library, but it is not there yet. And for now, we are relying on the IntelliJ platform for understanding Java. Uh, so we, we can run before uh, the actual Java compilation. But I thought I have seen, at least when I execute Gradle from command line, I see something like um, compile Kotlin before Java or something like that. Such a task running, isn't it? Uh, if you don't use Kopt, uh first, first Kopt implementation mm -hmm. with stops, and then uh, you have just one task uh, that is run before compile Java task, mm -hmm. and it compiles Kotlin. It produces the bytecode, and then uh, these um, class files are added to the Java Java C class path. Ah, I see. Okay. So uh, since uh, Java compiler cannot understand Kotlin, we need to generate either uh, bytecode or Java files uh, before uh, it compiles Java. Uh, since we can understand Java, we just generate uh, the bytecode and add it to a class path. But what about uh, libraries which are shipped as a bytecode? So you Kotlin uh, plugin also inspects them? Yeah, of course. So it, it not only can understand Java source files, but also binary Of course, of course. Files. Uh, any okay. JVM languages need to need to be able to understand uh, right, right. jars and their bytecode, but it's actually much more simpler than understanding source code because class files are actually pretty simple and they don't have these ambiguities because when we talk about um, source code, a name in a source code should be resolved by the rules of the language. Right. So, but in when we talk about bytecode, uh, we actually know what each name corresponds to. Overall, it's much easy easier to load already to load compiled code, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But so that basically means that if I try to mix 
three Java, three JVM languages in a project. It's impossible like, in general way. Impossible. Sa yeah, sadly, it's not. Oh. It, okay, it, it is possible to compile them in the same project. If they don't cross-reference each other. Yes, if they oh, don't okay. cross-reference to each other. Uh, it is impossible to have cross-references between each of them, but any two can probably have, uh, not, not any two, but at, at least two of them can have uh, cross-references. So, of course, you can compile, uh, for example, Groovy uh, and Java and Kotlin in the same model, at, at least in IntelliJ. I think there are problems with that in Gradle, uh, but in IntelliJ it is possible. We have such code in the Kotlin plugin, in the Kotlin Gradle plugin actually, uh, but Groovy cannot see Kotlin classes this way. Mm -hmm. And Kotlin cannot see Groovy classes probably as well. Uh -huh. But what if uh, each compiler would generate stops first for own classes? So basically Java class files without implementation details, just, just declarations, which will be... So, so basically, if you will try to mix Java, Groovy, and Kotlin, uh, Groovy and Kotlin could generate the stop class files, then Java compiler could try to compile Java code against those uh, stop classes, and then each language will be able to link all the implementation details, or am I completely wrong? Maybe you are right, uh, but I'm not sure whether Groovy could see uh, Kotlin this way. Uh, but I think I think if Groovy can generate stop first, then Kotlin could uh, use these stops. And it could also, of course, understand Java code and generate bytecode. Then Java could see source and class files from these two. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it will probably work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just remember that um, it actually works in IntelliJ. And now I can't think why I thought. <laughs> I think there, there are there may be some limitations to that in the build system, right? I mean, not only in build system. I think there might be some cases where it isn't possible, maybe. But in general, yeah, it could work. Okay. I mean, I, I know I know it is kind of working because we have one Groovy file in our code base, uh, in our code base of Kotlin plugin, I mean. Uh, mm -hmm. It is used for accessing uh, an API of different Android uh, plugin versions because there can be a lot of uh, changes in the API. Uh, of Android Gradle plugin. Uh, Google guys like to rename things back and forth. So we use uh, Groovy to 
actually dynamically dispatch to to the API, mm -hmm. and then we call it from Kotlin, and it works at least when JPS in IntelliJ internal build system is used. So you have already mentioned Google. Um, how is the collaboration with Google regarding the Kotlin Gradle plugin and the Android uh, Gradle plugin? Are there any, let's say, issues? Or does Google uh, provide you with the, all the information you need somehow? Uh, I'm not sure if I can comment it. So <laughs> <laughs> let's skip. Okay, okay, that's fine. So probably then, then let's dive into another topic, or not a topic, but something related to Gradle and build systems in general. What, what is incremental compilation? Can you explain us uh, what that means? It's uh, a feature of a build system that allows uh, it to build only files that are needed to build when a developer makes some changes. Of course, it includes uh, directly modified files and files that are affected uh, by these changes. But it should be as little um, files as possible. And that's it. So it can make uh, your build faster by not compiling um, some files that are not needed. Uh, because they were comp compiled the last time uh, you built and they were not affected by your changes. It's hard to tell whether it's a feature of a build system or a compiler because to do it right, you often need to integrate uh, with the compiler as well. Some compilers uh, have these uh, deeply cup coupled with uh, their architecture, uh, like Rust, for example. As far as I know, I, I, I'm not an expert, but <clears throat> from what I uh, have read about it, it deeply depends uh, on the internals of the Rust compiler. In case of Kotlin, it somewhat uh, depends on the information provided by the compiler, uh, but it's not a lot of information. So most of the job of incremental compilation in Kotlin is done in the build system, right? Yes, but it requires some information from the compiler as well. So, for example, when compiler analyzes source files, it needs to resolve each name uh, to some fully qualified name. So mm -hmm. it needs to figure out uh, what um, the full can mean it could be uh, a function from package bar for example or it can be a method of class uh, fees or uh, it could be um, a constructor of the class foo itself we store uh, for, for each fully qualified qualified name uh, we store a list of source files that could be using that name. Mm -hmm. uh, it is important uh, to know that this is not the same as uh, resolved name in the bytecode. Because, for example, consider this. You, you are calling an extension function 
from Kotlin. Okay. Uh, but then um, you could add, uh, for example, uh, a method with the same name uh, to some class. Yeah. So um, to, according to Kotlin rules, method usually wins uh, an extension function in the resolution process, in the na name resolution process. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to rebuild. So when you add uh, a method uh, foo to some class fizz, we also need to rebuild uh, the files that uh, call uh, extension function foo, which is resolved to static method uh, foo with an argument fizz. Uh, so we are storing uh, the mapping from fully qualified name, which is like package, class, and method, to the list of source files that potentially could use that name. Also, we need to be able to compare uh, the generated files. We also are using our internal data structures, uh, but in theory, we could just use class files. You, 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 could, you can think about these data structures uh, as uh, class files without method bodies. Mm -hmm. Just kind of declarations, right? Yeah. I think I need to um, give some overview of how it is working in general. At first, you compile at first, you invoke comp compilation and Kotlin compiler um, compiles all the files. It uh, also stores, not it, but the plugin, the Gradle plugin or JPS plugin uh, also uh, takes an information about uh, the mapping uh, I talked earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, then it also stores uh, uh, descriptors for each class. It's basically um, some kind of description of the structure of this class. It just lists uh, all the signatures. Uh, then when you make some changes and you invoke compilation again, um, at first, we compile uh, the files that you have modified. Then we compare uh, new descriptors with uh, the descriptors from the last build. We figure out what methods uh, or classes uh, you have added, removed, or maybe um, you changed uh, a visibility of class or method. Then we just uh, take the, these names and search that mapping for the files uh, that could have been using them mm -hmm. uh, and repeat this process. After some time, it uh, finishes. There, there are no more files affected by the thing, by the changes. Yeah, it's a little bit 
tricky, I guess. <laughs> no, that was very interesting. I, I think uh, it is quite complex in audio, but uh, I, I think I could explain it better if I could draw. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue with podcasts. It's, yeah. it's a little bit hard to describe complex things without visual uh, help or utilities. Uh, another thing, um, could you explain us a little bit how a compiler works internally? So if you get source code as input, and then you obviously get the binary file as output, but what happens in between? Okay, at first, um, compiler transforms uh, your code into a stream of tokens, like number, identifier, uh, mm -hmm. white space, and etc. It is used, this phase called lexing, and it is used uh, to make it easier to parse uh, the code. Um, it can be a, a part of parser as well. Uh, then uh, the stream of tokens is transformed uh, to abstract syntax trees that describe the structure of your code. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, a compiler needs to figure out some additional informations, such as what each name corresponds to, uh, or what types are present. Then it needs to analyze this whole information to check some rules of the language, and maybe to report an errors. Mm -hmm. Okay, then, so the, the whole process of parsing and then making type inference, name resolution, and semantic checking, this, this part of the compiler is usually called a front-end. Then, when everything is ready for the code to be optimized and generated, a back-end, okay, it, it just does it, generates and optimizes uh, the result. Usually, there is one front-end in the compiler, and it can have, have many backends that can generate uh, code for different platforms. So in Kotlin, in case of Kotlin, it's JavaScript and now Kotlin native, right? And, and JVM, of course. Oh, and, and basically, that means that I have to have uh, JVM to to use to, to, to produce Kotlin native binaries, right? Um, yes, because right now a half of Kotlin compiler is written in Java. Of course, we can convert it, but we still are using some classes from Java. We also depend on the IntelliJ platform uh, for mm. parsing Java. In case of JavaScript and native backends, we still are using abstract syntax tree from the platform and some other helpers as well. At some time in the future, we could compile a Kotlin compiler to the native or JavaScript, but at first we need to convert all Java code, then we need to stop using uh, Java, Java libraries, APIs, right. uh, and only only then 
we could compile it to, to native or JavaScript. In some future, we want to do it, but it, I think it will take a, a long time from now. Yeah, it seems so. It's very complicated process. But the idea is that you have some front-end and a back-end and your, your compiler is divided into front-end and back-end so that you can switch, um, for instance, the backends to compile to other, uh, other platforms like JavaScript and native. Yes, we, we, we also, actually, we have some differences in front-ends as well. Uh, because, for example, JavaScript uh, has some additional features like dynamic types, uh, oh, yeah, which, right, yeah. which are not present uh, in the J JVM, uh, at least yet. Oh yeah, so, so there are more Kotlin language constructs which are only usable with JavaScript uh, front-end and with JavaScript as back-end. Is that fair? I think there are also native classes. I don't know how do we call them uh, these days, but we also need to be able to describe classes from JavaScript, but in some compact way without need to actually convert them. So we have uh, a feature that you can annotate any uh, class as a JavaScript native class, uh, mm -hmm. and then you don't uh, need to, you don't have to add method bodies for it. Like it's like an interface. It it is somehow this information also used uh, when JavaScript is generated. Maybe the for example, I think uh, the name. The, the calls of the methods from these classes are never mangled, unlike uh, Kotlin classes. Um, that's it, probably, at least for now. Uh, native backend can also have some extensions, maybe. Um, maybe for interrupt with C or Objective-C, for example. But I don't know yet. Well, that's a ton of interesting information so oh, oh i i had a question about uh incremental compilation okay so uh as you touched incremental compilation i wanted to ask where does uh, the the mapping uh, start by the kotlin gradle plugin that you've talked about because i think i might be wrong but for instance, if I I usually don't clean my uh, my project, like uh, I don't invoke Cradle clean that often. But when I do, I do it in production, of course. But <laughs> I mean, uh, the thing I notice is that when I come uh, to the to the work next day and I try to compile my project, it seems like incremental compilation is not working for this first run. Or am I wrong? So do you store this mapping in the file system or in the memory? Yes, it is stored in the file system. So file generally, system. Uh, it should work, if, right? If you just, you know, um, 
turn off computer and turn on it again? Yeah, and to turn it on again, it should work. But the mm -hmm. first build can be slow because uh, Groovy, because Gradle daemon is not hot right, yet. Right, right, yes, yeah, right. And, and well, also, maybe that's think, the reason. I think there is a Kotlin compiler daemon, right? Yes. Uh, so it, what it is, is actually the job a bit sad, but we have to uh, we ha have to move our compiler uh, out of the Gradle process because Gradle now bundles some version of Kotlin compiler to uh, to support parse, Kotlin script to support Kotlin script. Yeah, <laughs> starting a new process uh, every time costs a lot, at least for small modules. Uh, because our compiler is qu quite big and there needs uh, JVM needs some time to optimize it well uh, so we decided to use Kotlin compiler daemon which is a separate process that uh, does not shut down after the compilation is ended but waits some time for other compilations mm -hmm. Couldn't you just uh, repackage Kotlin compiler so we could have a different package name or Gradle could do this? Sadly, it is not possible because um, we use reflection a lot. We mm. also cannot relocate some classes of the Kotlin runtime. For example, some of them do not exist. Uh, they are synthetic, like... Uh, Kotlin function, uh, Kotlin function one, for example, two, and etc. These types actually, yeah. well, maybe Kotlin function, kk function does exist, kk function one, k function two, and etc. But their their relatives, uh, such as k member function, um, uh, do not exist physically. Mm -hmm in jar for example so ge generally uh, relocating the classes in the kotlin compiler won't work uh, we also tried to make some trickery with class loading but it doesn't work very well uh, in the gradle mm -hmm. or you could try to use jigsaw Right from JDK nine. Yeah, but it's a long time to go for from there because we need Gradle to be able to uh, to run on JDK nine. Then we need uh, IntelliJ platform to be able to run on JDK nine. Um, then we need our compiler to be able to <laughs> run on JDK nine, and uh, even if it runs. Uh, we also need to support modules, uh, which is also a very, very hard effort. So sometime in the future, it will be done, but I think it can take a long time. Mm -hmm. Okay, makes sense. I run out of questions. <laughs> no, no, well, there are some, but discussion is already so deep. That we might get trouble too. I think that's a great point to stop here this very detailed and informative discussion about Kotlin Compiler and Gradle. No worries. As promised, Alexei, Artem, and I are going to discuss in a second part, which will be published soon, 
alternative build systems for Android development, such as Bakr and Bazel. We are going to discuss how they differ from Gradle by taking a look at their architecture to get a better understanding why they are currently considered to be faster as Gradle. Furthermore, we will see which features they offer or lack compared to Gradle, advantages, disadvantages, and so on. Meanwhile, don't forget that, as always, we are available on GitHub for discussion after the show. By the way, we use GitHub as a website for this podcast and GitHub's issue tracker for discussion. The URL is github.com slash artandzin slash the context minus podcast. Um, of course, we will put a link into the show notes. We not only use that for discussion after the show, but it's a chance to get some feedback from our listeners. We already got some great feedback there. Thank you, folks. Really appreciate it. One of the things that has been mentioned was that we should split long episodes into smaller pieces and publish them separately. So that's the reason why we split this episode into two pieces. Yeah, that's it for today. Stay tuned. The second part of this episode will be published soon. 